You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee Now you can be And it's 8 o'clock. Time for the Recovering CEO Twitter Space, 8 a.m. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Uh, today we're focused on As Bill Sees It reading, as you may know. And uh, it's a beautiful day. It's a Wednesday morning, February 9th. Beautiful morning. Great day to be sober. Um, great day to help others. Great day to be of service. And uh, thanks, everybody, for being here. You know, it's uh, it's the small things. Sometimes just showing up. Suiting up and showing up is half the job. So let's see, where are we at? So today we will start with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. All right. So again, this is Derek, uh, recovering addict alcoholic. My sobriety date, August 13th, 1996. And today's reading is from As Bill Sees It, page 10, titled Out of the Dark. Self-searching is the means by which we bring new vision, action, and grace to bear upon the dark and negative side of our natures. With it comes the development of that kind of humility that makes it possible for us to receive God's help. Yet it is only a step we will want to go further. We want the good that is in all of us, even in the worst of us, to flower and to grow. But first of all, we shall want sunlight. Nothing much can grow in the dark. Meditation is our step out into the sun. And then a quote from a letter from 1946. A clear light seems to fall upon us all. When we open our eyes, since our blindness is caused by our own defects, we must firstly realize what they are. Constructive meditation is the first requirement for each new step in our spiritual growth. I'll repeat that. A clear light seems to fall upon all of us, upon us all, when we open our eyes. Since our blindness is caused by our own defects, we must first deeply realize what they are constructive meditation is the first requirement for each new step in our spiritual growth so this reading again uh, it's from the 12 and 12 page 98 and then a letter from 1946 long ass time ago these are written by bill w again this is as bill sees it um it's saying that meditation helps us understand our defects, our defects of character. Uh, meditation helps us realize what our problems are so that we can then become aware of them and then essentially ask God to remove them. You know, it says constructive meditation is the first requirement for each new step in our spiritual growth. You know, so what does that mean? Does that mean we kind of pause at each step? You know, at each step we do, we kind of meditate on it and we you know, reflect on it with God. Um, 
Yeah. It says humility makes it possible for us to receive God's help. Yes, it's only a step. We want to go further. We want the good that is in all of us, even in the worst of us, to flower and to grow. So there's good in all of us, even the worst of us, and we want it to flower and grow. But first we shall want sunlight. Nothing much can grow in the dark. Meditation is our first step into the sun. And I'll stop reading right there, but... So this is interesting for me. You know, I understand the concept of, you know, self, self-discovery, self right? Understanding my defects. I always say that sobriety, one of the greatest gifts of sobriety, one of the most obvious gifts is the gift of awareness, you know? When I remove the drugs and the alcohol, I can start to see where I was wrong. I can start to see how my behavior is affecting others. And... um you know, I can start to live in the light. And that's a big one, living in the light. You know, when I was in my addiction, I was living in darkness. You know, I was living a secretive life. I was sneaking, sneaking around. I was acting inappropriately. I was doing things that were illegal. And I never really wanted to admit how much I was drinking, how many drugs I was using. You know, I didn't really want to admit my activities. And there's a saying that says we're only as sick as our secrets. That's really true. You know, when I when I get sober, when I live a sober life, I can't have secrets. I can't hide my behavior. I can't um, I can't act one way, you know, and be all addictive and then go out and try and act a different way. Ideally, I want to live in the light. I want to live out in the light in a public way, you know, sober. And um, that's one of the reasons I'm doing the recovering CEO. You know, I want to live in the light. I want to recover out loud. You know, some people wear these shirts, recover out loud. Like, don't keep it quiet. Don't hide it. Um, You know, I hid it for too long. I hid my addiction for too long. And it was killing me. And I really believe that in sobriety, I need to get out there. I need to talk about it, you know, talk about the fact. And honestly, for me personally, I've been really struggling with food, you know, Um, sober from drugs and alcohol for 25 years, right? That's where my rearview mirror, but sugar, I've been kind of slipping on and uh, relapsing on every 30 or so days, you know, and I just can't stop it. And it just comes up just like any old addiction and says hey you know you need something sweet you know why don't you eat something sweet and uh just like any addiction and if i take the bait which it's hard not to you know because it just kind of comes up as such an obvious thing it's almost like it could be saying you're gonna drink today you know you're gonna drink you know you're gonna drink and i don't have a strong enough defense against it you know so over time i built up really strong defense against drugs and alcohol Um, but I haven't seriously worked a food addiction program to the point where I have a strong enough defense. So sure, I can try and not eat sugar, but then it comes back and, um, it comes back and it's like, it's really good example to me of, you know, what half measures availed us. You know, my old sponsor used to say, um, half measures doesn't avail us nothing. Half measures avails us half. And that's, that's dangerous behavior for an alcoholic, you know, because 
half measures of ales is half, that means in some ways it means I'm going to get half the promises or half the good things that are out there, right? Um, so it'll be better than it used to be, but it won't be great. So that's kind of okay, kind of. But the trouble is, you know, and one of the reasons it says half measures of ale is nothing is that, you know, if I act in half measures, then there's a good chance I will slip, right? As illustrated with sugar. So I'm not fully committing to a program of recovery. I'm not fully admitting powerlessness. I'm not fully doing the work of a sober person, right? So I kind of benefit because I stay off sugar for a while, but then it comes back. So really it's availing us nothing, you know, because when it comes back and some of you know, if you've had slips or relapses, um, when I relapse, when I slip, it's, it's bad, you know, and I'll use with a vengeance and I'll like for me with sugar, I'll eat as much sugar as I can in a day, you know, and then I'll kind of feel like crap, you know, and I'll feel sick and I'll, uh, and then the next day I'll start off better, but then, you know, it often goes sideways again, you know, and it's one day at a time in my addiction, which is no way to live. You know, it's just no way to live. Um, it's unsustainable, you know, and if, if I was doing that with alcohol, it would be causing real problems. You know, because alcohol, <laughs> I mean, alcohol and sugar are very similar, right? I mean, they both kind of give you that rush, you know, of um, some sort of stimulus, you know, it both triggers your brain and gives you the chemical reaction. Um, but alcohol really, really affects my mood where it makes me do crazy things. And it also leads me back to drugs. And, uh, and that's when it really gets dangerous, you know. I'm probably not going to go bankrupt, you know, buying M&Ms and eating chocolate chip cookies my wife made. You know, I'm probably not going to go bankrupt and lose everything. But if I do go back to drugs, then what does that do? Then that's a really slippery slope because that's where I go back to spending all my money and neglecting my job and neglecting my family and just go back to being high all the time. And it was very difficult for me to live when I was high all the time. It really was, you know, and I proved that to myself back when I was, you know, my early twenties, I experimented with it a lot. I proved it to myself. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, it was clear and obvious that I couldn't do it anymore. You know, that I was an addict and an alcoholic and I needed to stop if I wanted to live a decent life. Um, so I did that. I went through the pain, suffering, and the work of that. It took me time. You know, it took years to get over it. It took hard work, tons of meetings, working the steps, surrender, 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 hitting my knees and asking for God's help. You know, it took all those things. And so why do I think that I can quit any other addiction without that level of effort, right? That's a serious level of effort. So, you know, sometimes for me, because it's been 25 years, I kind of pat myself on the back and say, well, you know, Derek, you dealt with your addiction. You did all the hard work there. Now what? You know, now I have all these other kind of character defects that I become aware of, you know, character defects in six and seven. That's kind of what this reading says, you know. We can tell once we meditate, once we achieve sobriety, you can start to see 
the other things that are causing problems in my life, you know, and, and six and seven is, it's really a good place to get a lot of insight. You know, six and seven is about, um, you know, a couple of sentences in the big book. It's very small, right? I mean, it's like less than a paragraph and you're past it. Um, so, you know, but it's really, it's really the crux of the program, you know, six and seven, they say separates the, the men from the boys, you know, it's like this, this is where the water meets or the, the rubber meets the road, you know, you, you could say it's four step and stuff. And sure. If you don't do a four step, you'll probably drink again, but six and seven is where the spiritual growth happens. Six and seven is what made me realize that I'm having a hard time and I'm still getting high off other addictions, you know? Um, sure. Sugar is a big one for me. You know, I, I, I realized that last night, you know, I was driving home from the uh, basketball game. I went to a basketball game last night and it was about an hour away and we lost. Right. So I was pissed off. I, um, I had a little bit of an argument with my daughter because we were trying to like leave because the game was over and I was like, fuck this, we're leaving. And, uh, and then all of a sudden my daughter's like, no, 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 wait. And she was there with her friends. She's like, Oh, can you drive us back to our dorm and blah, 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 blah. And, um, I really didn't want to do that, you know, because I wanted to get home and I didn't want to cut back through campus and take them to their dorm and do all that. I'm like, why don't you guys just walk? I mean, it's not that far. And I was kind of angry about it, you know? And, um, it made me realize that, that was kind of my addiction there, right? Because I was angry that we lost. I was, I wanted to go home. I was just in a pissed off mood, right? I didn't want to be of service to anyone. I didn't want to help anyone, you know? And so I was kind of a dick and, and it was embarrassing. Um, and some of her friends were there and I'm like, you guys walk, you know, I'm not going to drive you. And uh, so that was rude. And I had to apologize, you know, that, but that was an example. But also I think it was partially because I'm, on a sugar relapse honestly i was just mad you know i wanted like when i whenever i use an addiction whenever i use some sort of substance then right at that point when i was feeling the pain and the distress and the anger of losing a game which was hard for me because i'm kind of a sports addict then i got angry you know whenever i want to act out and my family comes at me with some shit i often will lose it you know, and yell. Um, if I ever come in the house after being somewhere and when I was out, maybe I was thinking about some sort of sexual thoughts. Like this is another one for me, right? So you can be high on some sort of sexual fantasy just like you could be high on drugs, right? So if I'm thinking about something like, oh, you know, I saw something or something stimulated me and I was thinking about it, entertaining the thought, right? Entertaining the thought of some sort of inappropriate sexual thing because I'm married. And then I come home and it's kind of like snap back to reality, pay attention to your family. You know, my wife has things for me to do. My kids have questions, all this stuff. I will often snap. And that's what it means to be in the addiction, you know, because I'm not present. Like I am disconnected. I am off in fantasy land, you know, Thinking about getting high, thinking about doing things that are going to get me high and getting high and just thinking. And then I get snapped back to reality and I'm a dick to everyone. And that's just, that's the addiction. You know, a lot of people, when they drink, it says when you drink, it's like instant asshole. Like they just turn into a mean person, uh, partially because they want to keep everyone away from them. 
You know, it's like, get away from me. My addiction tries to isolate and kill me. So my addiction will turn me into a person that will make you not want to be with me. You will not want to be with me when I'm in my addiction. You're going to say, get away. I don't want you. I don't love you. You know, and I, I want you to say that. I want you to say, get out of here. And I'll tell you what, every time my wife gets mad at me, you know, and tells me to fuck off and tells me to leave or tells me to, you know, that she's mad at me or doesn't want to be with me or whatever, you know, I know she loves me, but it's more like when she pushes me away, that just triggers my addiction, right? My addict says, oh my God, see, she doesn't love you. She doesn't want you here. You need to go do whatever the fuck you want to do because you have permission now, right? You have a reason. You're angry. You're abandoned. Here's another woman abandoning you, just like my biological mom who abandoned me, you know? Here's another woman abandoning you. Go use. Go change the way you feel, you know? And um, really, I need to grow up, you know? It's tough. And even dabbling with sugar addiction is so dangerous for me. You know, I mean, the, the sex stuff, you know, I can't engage in fantasy. I mean, that's a big problem for me is fantasy. Um, but even, you know, stuff like that gets triggered and prolonged by, you know, maybe watching inappropriate television. Like I said, I've been watching that HBO Euphoria. Probably shouldn't be watching that. I mean, that show is about as triggering as you can get of any show. It's it's straight up addiction on your TV screen, you know, and, there's like that one show, Shameless, on Showtime or whatever. I could never watch that, right? That show was such a train wreck. It was so disgusting to me. Um, right? So I couldn't watch that. But uh, Euphoria, I mean, it hits a little closer to home, right? I have teen, teenage daughters. Um, a friend of mine was saying he watched Euphoria a couple of times, and he's like, that makes me never want to have kids. You know, if you have teenage daughters, you should not be watching that show. And here I am watching it with teenage daughters. And one of my daughters loves that show. It's her favorite show. The other one won't watch it because it's so disturbing. I don't know which is better. You know, I think not watching it is better. <laughs> um, but that shows a mess, you know, and uh, everyone's a freaking mess. Whether they're doing drugs, they're in abusive relationships, they're using sex. I mean, just alcohol, crazy, crazy stuff. You know, there's just such generational trauma, right? And, and, you can see it and they kind of show it. They show the generational trauma that's passed down and the terrible things that these people had to go through and the terrible abuse and bullying and society pressures and everything. But in some ways the shows makes me feel better, you know, like I'm not alone, right? I'm not alone. Like the one dad on the show, I mean, he, he's like married and he's a successful businessman. Like he owns half the town. But yet he's meeting, you know, men and sometimes underage, you know, uh, girls in like, and transsexuals like in hotels and, you know, having sex with them from these hookup apps. And he's just over and over and over all through the years, you know, and it's like a double life, you know, and he keeps it secret and it's awful. It's terrible, you know, and, um. And he lives with that trauma and he passes it on to his kids and he like is really abusive to his kids and he ignores and neglects his wife. And, um, it's just sick, sick behavior, you know? And in some ways it makes me feel better. It's like, well, Derek, maybe you're not that bad. You're not doing that. You know, you're not that bad. 
Um, but for the grace of God go I, you know, it's like all these things that I see could be me. I never thought I could do things like that, but guess what? I can, you know, because every line I set for myself, you know, any, any good addict will draw a line and say, well, I won't do that. You know, I might, you know, like I remember when I, when I relapsed once on marijuana, I said, well, I'm just going to smoke on the weekends, you know, Friday and Saturday, that's it Sunday. And then I'll stop. And then it was Thursday. And then it was Wednesday. And then it was all day, every day, all the time. There is no line that I will not cross, you know. Um, there is no line I will not cross. And that's why I really do better with complete abstinence. And I do better with surrendering every day and saying, you know what? I am powerless over all this shit. Dear God, please remove this from me. Because if I use it, it's going to kill me. Right. And so here I do, I kind of um, dabble with sugar. Right. And I say, oh, sugar's not going to kill me. Sugar will fucking kill me. Right. Diabetes is a real thing. Um, you always go back to your drug of choice. Right. So it's in many ways, food and sex addiction are connected and it's tied together with lust. Right. I lust after something. Even driving home last night. Right. I had my younger daughter with me. We were driving home. And she was playing music and it was kind of calming me, right? Like some Taylor Swift and stuff. But I was in a bad mood. And what did I really want to do? I really wanted to like stop at Arby's, right? And get like a freaking Jamocha shake and some of those potato cakes, you know, the fried potato things. I just wanted to use food to change the way I felt. You know, I wanted sweet. I wanted salty. I wanted savory. I wanted it all at 10 at night, you know. And um, But I didn't do it because I had my daughter with me. You know, I wanted to go to Taco Bell. We used to do that in the past. You know, we'd stop at Taco Bell and shit and late night, you know, on the way home from a concert or something. And, you know, she was my little buddy. We'd get our Taco Bell or whatever, you know. But it's like, I don't want to live like that, you know. And it's because, you know, I've been trying to eat three meals a day, measured portions, no snacks, no sugar, no white flour. Right. And that kind of went off the rails lately because I'm in a relapse with my food. Um, but I could see why three meals a day, no snacks measured portions works, right? Because here I was at 10 o'clock. I'd already had three meals a day. I already had a shitload of sugar in the middle of the day because I just binged on it. And here I was at 10 at night wanting to get another meal. And it was like driving me. And I felt like an addict or an alcoholic wanting a drink. I wanted a drug, you know, and um, I was lusting for it. And I was angry and I was on edge and I was driving, you know, 95 miles an hour home, kind of pissed off, just stay out of my way, get the fuck out of my way, I don't want to see any cops, you know, I don't want any hassle from anyone, I mean, I was just full-on addict, right, and that's just dangerous, you know, that's no way to live, and that's part of that half measures availed us nothing, half measures availed us half, you know, I mean, here I was, I had a good time at the game, kind of, I mean, we kind of played shitty, but, and, but how different am I than other people, don't other people feel that way? Don't other people watch the game and say, well, that sucked ass and they get mad and they go and they have a drink or they smoke some weed or they, you know, eat something. I mean, how different am I? You know, they go home and have sex with their wife or they masturbate by themselves. I mean, whatever. It's like everybody wants to blow off steam. Everybody wants to feel better. Right. Everybody wants to be happy. The trouble was, as an addict and an alcoholic, I just take it too far. 
you know, I take it too far. I take it to the extremes, you know, and when I play around with food addiction, it is symbiotic with sex addiction. They are hand in hand, right? If I eat and go off the rails, I am going to want to act out sexually and go off the rails too. It's just, it's proven, you know, and um, it's just proven. And eventually, guess what I'll want to do? Drugs and alcohol. It all leads back. It all, all roads lead to Rome, right? All roads lead to Rome. If I'm an addict and I fuck around with addiction, all roads lead to Rome. I will fucking die. It's not funny. I've seen so many people die in this program. I've had sponsees die. You know, you get the call, you see the tweet, you see the Facebook post, you know? Yeah, they're gone. And they often don't say how they're gone, you know? They're just gone. They freaking overdosed. I mean, you know it every time, right? They overdosed. Um, I remember one time, one of my sponsees' parents reached out to me. And they said, yeah, you know, after he died, we found his journal. And in his journal, this kid, Andy... You know, who really just struggle with life. Um, this kid, Andy, you know, he and they called me and his parents said, and they said, you know, he, he wrote about you in his journal. And he said you were such a good sponsor. And he really respected you and you helped him a lot. He wrote about you. And we just wanted you to know that. You know, it wasn't your fault that he died. Um, yeah, it wasn't my fault. Great. You know, he still died. I mean, the poor guy had like hepatitis C, he was struggling, addict, alcoholic. He was a really good guy. But sometimes life is just too much. You know, life is just too much. And so here I am binging on sugar, eating every piece of sugar I can find in the house. Um, but if I was back in my other addiction, right, like he was, you know, he's shooting heroin. He's doing all the heroin he can find in the house. <laughs> now, the trouble with that is it fucking kills you right? If I'm eating candy bars and M&Ms and all this bullshit and ice cream in my house, I'm probably not going to die right away. I'm not going to go into like a sugar coma and die. But if I have alcohol and if I have heroin and if I have cocaine and pills and I want to change the way I feel, I'm going to do it all and I'm going to overdose. And that's how people die. They don't necessarily want to die. They just don't want to feel anymore. They just want to feel so high and they just want more and more and more, you know, because when I feel a little high, I want to feel more high and I'm always chasing it. I'm chase, chase, chasing that feeling, that one feeling I got once in my life. You know, the first time I had sex was so freaking amazing. I chased it for the rest of my life. The first time I got high, I felt so good. The first time I got drunk was so heavenly. I wanted to be back there every day for the rest of my life and I could never find it again. I could never find that feeling. I want to fall in love over and over again because I love the feeling of falling in love. Morrissey sings about that. You know, he says, here I am at the end of my life falling in love again. I want to chase the fucking feeling. So I don't know. I don't even know if this helps anyone. You know, this is probably like TMI, like, who in the hell wants to listen to my train wreck, you know? And my train wreck is probably not as bad as some people's train wreck. <laughs> so maybe not as bad as yours. I don't know. The point is we're all in this together. I'm not alone. You're not alone, right? If you're an addict or an alcoholic, you're not alone because there's a lot 
of us out there, including me. I am such an addict. It's a miracle I'm alive. It's a miracle I'm alive. It's a miracle you're alive. You know, I have 25 years sober from drugs and alcohol. That's a freaking miracle. There are people out there today right now struggling. There's people out there right now shooting up, drinking, getting high, and they can't stop. Right? I understand that. It's a miracle. And if you get sober, that's a miracle. It is possible. You can do it, right? There's ways to get sober. You can do it. You can reach out. I'll help you, you know? Um, we, we can't do it alone, though, right? We can't do it alone. We need to seek help. And that's one of the reasons I'm trying to be more public about this. That's one of the reasons I'm putting out content. I just published an amazing episode of my podcast today, not to pat myself on the back, but I interviewed a CSAT therapist who is just brilliant. And she shares her experience, strength, and hope. And it's really, really good information. So today I want to live in the light. Today I'm not sure if I'm ready to quit sugar, honestly. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get sugar somehow today. Um, but I am going to stay off drugs and alcohol. <laughs> oh, God help me. All right. Let's have a moment of silence followed by the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless you today. I hope you stay sober. I hope you have a good day because life is freaking difficult. I love you. And we'll see you next time on The Recovering CEO. Adios. Peace out. You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee